So Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Lord God, we submit ourselves afresh today to the authority of your holy word, asking that your spirit would open our eyes to see your work and soften our hearts to hear your voice. Show us Jesus, teach us the gospel, make us your people for the sake of communicating the goodness and the glory of your holy name, we pray. Amen. Anybody else get a call from mom on your birthday? Every year on my birthday, I get a call from mom where she recounts the circumstances of my birth and she always says something like, Oh, my little Scotty, I remember very clearly when you came into our world 47 years ago. It was a dark and stormy night. No, just kidding. She doesn't say that. She, she tells me about the weather that day and how excited they were and how I was a miracle baby because the cord was wrapped around my neck. I came out purple and all my first Is the Baby Alive scores were zero. True story. Miracle baby. And then she goes into all these anecdotes from my baby years to prove the miracle baby story, walking and running by three months, shooting three pointers at the Nerf hoop by six months, reciting Shakespearean plays by 12 months, you know, all the normal precursors to a life of advanced athletic and intellectual ability. Actually, according to the picture my mom sent me, most of my baby life looked more like this. This is the earliest picture I could find, two weeks old, crying in my swaddling clothes. The reality is that my mom says, I came out drooling and I didn't stop for three years. That's the true story of my miracle birth. Well, in the New Testament, Matthew starts his gospel, his account of the life of Jesus, by telling us about the circumstances surrounding the miracle birth of Jesus. And this one really is a miracle birth. He starts by giving us his genealogy in chapter one, verses one through 17. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is the family tree of Jesus, the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. He is, Matthew says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew wants to make sure we, the readers, understand that Jesus was a real Jewish baby who came from a long line of those to whom God the Father had been faithful to bless, just as he promised, going all the way back to Genesis 12, verse 3, when God promised Abraham, the earthly father of Jesus' people, that in you, in Abraham, and in his offspring, and now in Jesus, ultimately here in Jesus, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, he reaches all the way back to Abraham and David because he wants his readers to understand that this baby can be traced all the way back to the very first one to whom God made his promise to bless, meaning that this baby Jesus has a biological but also a spiritual heritage that led up to this day, to this birth, and that was kept intact 
by his heavenly father all along the way to confirm that in this baby, in Jesus, God is doing something supernatural and that eclipses scientific categories and that goes beyond our human understanding. This baby is born of God, Matthew says. My birthday phone call example may have had a little hyperbole thrown in here and there, but but Matthew takes birth stories to a whole different level. What Matthew claims here about this baby is not mere literary hyperbole, but what he claims is that Jesus has royal and divine origins such that he can say, that Matthew can say, that this baby Jesus comes from God himself. This incredible claim is what's wrapped up into these first 17 verses in Matthew. And he continues that claim where we pick up the text today in Matthew 1, verse 18, where he goes into Jesus' earthly and familial origins. Now the birth, same word translated genealogy in verse one, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, which means they had been promised contractually to be married, and they were still in the middle of this year-long process of staying faithful to one another. And they says, before they came together, meaning, shall we say, before they finalized the marriage, so they're committed to be married, which was a contract that could only be dissolved by an official and legal divorce, and they hadn't yet finalized their marriage. Then Matthew tells us this. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Uh-oh. So think about this. In the Bible, where Jesus himself would later claim to be Messiah, Matthew, who is trying to convince us that Jesus is indeed who he would claim to be as Messiah, that he begins this birth story of Jesus, the birth story of Jesus Christ, and he says, it took place in this way. And then he tells us that his earthly parents were pledged to be married, but didn't finalize the marriage. And yet, uh-oh, she was pregnant. Not by Joseph, but by the spiritual and supernatural work of God. In the Jewish community they were part of, this was a big problem. Not only would there be the community shame of what would most certainly be viewed as adultery and an illegitimate child, but no one would believe the explanation. You know those moments of shame and regret and overwhelming fear where you're just absolutely sure the entire world is aware and you're going to be exposed and you feel like you'd rather just die and get it over with than have to live another minute with the exposure and the shame? That's what Joseph and Mary, that's what Joseph is experiencing here. And I don't, I don't mean to minimize actual contemporary internet anxiety, which is real and I feel you, but what Joseph and Mary are facing here isn't the on-the-daily, low-level, modern anxiety from infowhelm and entertainment and comparison that makes us feel like a temporary loser because we scroll through the socials more than God's word and we're fretting because everyone else's life looks awesome and we've got a big zit on our nose. <laughs> this is 
the overwhelming fear and shame and disgrace of actual public exposure that means walking through your little village knowing everyone around you knows what you did and that every stare and every nod and every word and every little implication is a threat. Many of you know exactly the kind of fear we're talking about here. Here's a man from the line of David who is a faithful worshiper of God, who's engaged to be married to the woman he loves and, and finds out that she's pregnant and he knows it's not his. And Joseph and Mary were experiencing the overwhelming fear of the unknown and certain shame and exposure. So, what do they do? Verse 19. And her, ho- her, and her husband Joseph being a just man, meaning he was a good Jew who was careful to observe the law faithfully, and Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. His plan was to give Mary a divorce in order to stay on the down low and avoid an open scandal. But, verse 20, as he considered these things, as he was weighing how to respond, Behold, which is Bible speak for don't miss this because God's got this. Behold, an angel of the Lord, a messenger from God, appeared to him, appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Joseph, son of the king of David, from whom would come the Messiah. Don't forget your heritage and that you're of the people of Abraham who are forever blessed by God. Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You may be freaked out and worried and overwhelmed and totally clueless as to the best way to proceed, sure, but do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why? For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife because this is from God. This baby is from God. While we as readers knew way back in verse 18 that this was about the birth of Jesus as Messiah. Now, finally, here in verse 20, as it happened in real time, Joseph now knows what he needed to know that he didn't know, namely, that that which is conceived in her is from God. In other words, Joseph, you needn't fear when you know God's in it, The angel continues, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice in the text, the two fours, F-O-R-S, the two fours in verses 20 and 21 that are the explanation for why Joseph needn't fear. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew puts these two fours right on the heels of the situation that Joseph is fearing as a way to say, do not fear, Joseph. God's got bigger and more important plans. Now, next, Matthew inserts a passage from the Old Testament to explain to us, the readers, 
how the birth of Jesus fits into the scriptural predictions about the Messiah. Matthew does this as a way of confirming again that this birth was of God. And then he also shows us how Joseph was faithful to obey. Some good lessons for us here in this. Look at verse 22. This is Matthew speaking. All this took place to fulfill The birth of Jesus took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph would be familiar with these prophetic words from Isaiah 7, 14. And what I want us to see here is how they function to embolden us as the readers to be courageous. Think about it. Matthew inserts this quote for his readers. He is inserting this quote from Isaiah 7:14 from the Old Testament to confirm to us as readers that the scriptures themselves had predicted had the Messiah would come. It's like Matthew was saying to us, see, it's just as the scriptures themselves predicted. God will come through as he promised, just like the angel said to Joseph, do not fear for this baby is from God. Do not fear for he will save his people from their sins. So, notice the point Matthew makes next. After the angel visits Joseph and tells him the two fours, Joseph is emboldened to move forward with God's plans and not his. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Matthew reports here, that the angel's words carried the weight of God's commands. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And then notice how scripture just very plainly and and matter-of-factly reports Joseph's obedience. He took his wife, he carried on with God's plans, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And then Matthew closes with this small phrase that also describes Joseph's simple obedience. And so he called his name Jesus. Emboldened by God's promise to deliver his people, Joseph did what was commanded. Though experiencing confusion and fear that certainly felt like overwhelm, Joseph called him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Why did Joseph respond with courage to follow God's plans without knowing how they would work out? Because he knows that what this baby has come to earth to do is way bigger than 100% of every single here and now problem or trauma or suffering or anxiety that Joseph or you or I will ever experience. Why courageously do the right thing and obey God's word? Because God is in it and it's all gonna be okay. All of it. That's what he promised us. Now, friends, two lessons for us today about overcoming fear that come from this passage. First, when you have Jesus, you will do the good and right thing without fear of the consequences. When you have Jesus, you will do the good and right thing without fear of the consequences and the unknown that may hinder you from doing the good and right thing. Verses 24 and 25 here are a testament to Joseph's quiet, unsung, and matter-of-fact faithfulness. Joseph's mentioned in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
but not one spoken word from him is recorded, only his actions. So after he was told the two fours, F-O-R-S, the two fours that this baby was born of God and would save God's people from sin, Matthew tells us very matter-of-factly, very plainly, that Joseph took his wife and he called his name Jesus. Joseph is a godly man who exhibits the everyday boring faithfulness to do the good and right thing because he is empowered by knowing that God had plans even if he didn't hardly know anything about the specifics of what that would mean. Just think of the, the contrast between how little Joseph knew about the specifics of God's plans and how much specificity we typically require before we will courageously step into doing the good and right thing. I mean, in our world, we now require a written contract with a financial retainer and exit loopholes before we'll commit to going to the grocery store. The internet means we are all now well-informed well on why we should be overwhelmed and then why we are negligent and perhaps even murderous in the eyes of some if we're not living with a constant priority on risk mitigation. But notice what Joseph's everyday boring faithfulness meant. It meant that God used him on behalf of his people and we're reading about it today. It takes courage to do the good and right thing, trusting God will use it for the sake of the kingdom moving forward and for his glory. What it meant here is that God used Joseph as part of his plan to bring about salvation for you and me. We are here today worshiping this baby who is God with us because Joseph entrusted himself to God's plan. He's just one of countless such followers of Christ over the many centuries who courageously do what is good and right without knowing the consequences. Because listen, friends, they entrusted themselves to God and not to man. Not only can you do the same if you have Jesus and Lord, you will. Courageously saying yes to what is the good and right thing to do, knowing that you needn't and can't account for all the possible consequences. Second thing we learn here today is that when you have Jesus, you will weigh anxieties and fears alongside the salvation he brings. Verses 20 and 21 are key verses for us today. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Do not fear, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph feared the community who would condemn him for his sin. He feared the community turning on him, shaming him and his wife, exposing them for what the others incorrectly perceived as adultery and an illegitimate birth. These weren't unfounded fears for Joseph and Mary, and I can imagine that what they felt was overwhelming, but these overwhelming fears and anxieties turned out to be relatively small compared to the awesome beauty and majesty of being used by God for his plan of entering into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. Do not fear. 
for he will save his people from their sins. Friends, you and I are in the same exact boat as Joseph. Whatever we fear must be seen, must be weighed alongside this truth. Jesus has come to save you from your sins. When life seems impossible and there's no good answers and you're fearing exposure, Jesus has come to save you from your sins. Friends, let's take a minute and end by thinking together about this takeaway question. What consequences or anxieties are you fearing as if they loom larger than God's plans for your obedience and that need to be weighed alongside salvation? Friends, the lie we believe while we wait for Jesus to return and finish making things right with the world is that the fears and worries of this world and the here and now, the things that overwhelm and paralyze us, that they actually warrant being overwhelmed about. We scurry about wringing our hands about how we're going to avoid shame and exposure or, or, or worse, when if Matthew, what he claims here is true, if what Matthew says here is true, then we live in a world where God is with us in Jesus. We who call him Lord have his perfect life and sacrificial death to stand as our righteousness before a holy God who demands our perfection. We have an empty tomb to show he defeated sin in the grave. Friends, do not fear, for he will save his people from their sins. Father in heaven, we are forever grateful for the amazing truth that you sustained your people so that Jesus could come and live the perfect sinless life for us that we can't, so that his sacrifice would make up for sin, so that he would atone for our sin, and we would stand as righteous before you, undeserved, unearned, but because of your grace to us through Jesus, we can have a relationship with you are here and now fears that overwhelm. When seen alongside the amazing truth that you have taken care of the greatest problem we could ever have in our lives, gives us hope, gives us courage. Help us, Lord, to, to do and to say the good and right thing, knowing that you will take care of the consequences of our faithfulness and obedience. Lord, help us to weigh the fears and anxieties and overwhelm we experience in this world alongside the amazing truth that you have taken care of our greatest needs so that we could continue to be who you've called and created us to be for the sake of communicating the goodness and glory of your name, we pray. Amen.